Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can always catch us on Giants.com or your Giants mobile app. I'm Paul Dottino along with Super Bowl champion Jeff Fiegels, and we'll be here to talk Giants football for the next hour or so. It's time for today's opponent preview, and we will take a look at the Chicago Bears. They're set to play the Giants on September 14th at Soldier Field. That would be week two of the NFL schedule, and now we bring in Bears radio sideline reporter Mark Grody. Mark, it is so good to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I guess you can't start a conversation about the Chicago Bears without going right to the quarterback. That's the magnet of this offseason for Chicago. They bring in Nick Foles from Jacksonville. They've got the holdover in Mitch Trubisky, who did not get his option picked up. Okay, Mark, how is this whole thing going to play out? We're still looking forward to seeing exactly how it does play out because with the the offseason program having already been compromised and the Bears just getting together via Zoom, the head coach, Matt Nagy, has basically admitted that there has been no competition as of yet. So the, the plan, hopefully, obviously, is to get on the field in training camp, assuming that there will be one, and that would be the point at which you would see these two guys go at it. I think the belief is, is that right now, if you look at it, even Nick Foles has a slight edge. I mean, they brought him in there. They paid. They, they made a trade to get him in here. But, I mean, he was a sign that Mitchell Trubisky has not worked out the last two years. Um, however, we got a chance to talk to Mitch Trubisky very recently, and he's talking tough at this point. He's talking about how it's still his team. He's talking about how he's worked out with several of the Bears' offensive players in the offseason and basically saying he's not going to go down without a fight. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes down. They're saying it's going to be 50-50. Uh, that they will play more in the preseason. Matt Nagy has held his starters out of the preseason in his first couple of years with the Bears, but a lot of the work will be done there, and it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. You know, it's funny because when you look at both these quarterbacks, uh, you know, somewhat one of them is a little bit more successful than the other, with Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl down there in Philly. You know, the Bears bring in an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach this year that helped run the system with Nagy back when he was in Philly. So I would imagine that that's probably uh, a big positive for Nick Foles going into this into this competition because he's familiar with a lot of the offense that he's going to be given to compete with, Mr. Trubisky. What do you think about that? And um, I, I, I honestly think that the, the opening day starter will be Nick Foles. Um, but, you know, you really need you need two quarterbacks in the National Football League anyway. Yeah, no no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, just to your, to your last point right there, I mean, I would imagine that at some point in time both of the quarterbacks will play this year just because of the, the nature of the league. And, yeah, you're talking about the two new coaches they brought in and uh, Filippo, Jim Filippo, and uh, Bill Lazor, the new offensive coordinator. And, yeah, they, they do have ties to Nick Foles, not to mention the fact that the head coach, Matt Nagy, also has big-time ties. To, to Nick Foles, and I think that that, especially with the abbreviated offseason, that's going to work in Nick Foles' favor to have the built-in relationship with those guys and to right. already, look, look, Nick Foles knows this offense. He doesn't know the specific mechanics of, or I should say not mechanics, but language that Matt Nagy brings in, so there's going to have to be some learning and some working through some things with, with Nick Foles, but I think that we could all pretty safely say that Nick Foles understands this offense. And I'm not saying that Mitchell Trubisky doesn't understand this offense. 
what he's had trouble doing, and it's been right out there for everybody to to hear about, read about, and see, is two things. Reading defenses, which is obviously a huge part of being the quarterback, and Matt Nagy has called him out and challenged him to become a master of reading defenses. And then, you know, once you get up to the, to the line of scrimmage, deciding what is the best play to call at that point when you have the two different plays in your pocket and the run pass options and setting up your offensive line. Trubisky has not been good in those particular cases. So, um, and then also to your point too, you know, whereas Nick Foles is familiar with laser and Filippo, Mitchell Trubisky is not familiar with those two gentlemen. So that, I think that puts uh, Mitch at a little bit of a disadvantage. And to have, again, new voices in his head after having so many voices in his head in previous years. Mike, everybody knows that a quarterback's best friend is his offensive line. And look, I may not see it the way you do, so I'm interested in your take, but I don't necessarily see a very stout offensive line. You probably, you know, won't have one when you rank as low as the Bears did in all of the offensive statistics last season. And it doesn't look like they did a whole lot to make it a lot better this offseason. They brought in Ifetti from Seattle, but I mean, where's the help? Spot on. I mean, the offensive line, let's put it this way, offensive line had a bad year last year. They've got some good players along that offensive line um, that have thrived in the past, like Bobby Massey and Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair, excuse me, who moved into the center position last year. But for whatever reason, um, it did not all come together last year. They do, for whatever it's worth, they do have a new offensive line coach this year in Juan Castillo. So they're hoping that maybe that helps in the collective and getting that unit to work as one. There's a guy they drafted a couple of years ago that they moved up for in the second round, and that was James Daniels, kid out of Iowa, who had a pretty good first year. But last year he just struggled to the point where he started the year at center and he wasn't able to cut it there, so they had to move him back to guard and put Cody Whitehair at the center position. I'm sorry, guys. Um and it just, for whatever reason, didn't work. And you mentioned Jermaine Effetti. That's, that's a great point there, too. So Jermaine Effetti is supposed to probably come in and start at that guard position that Rashad Coward, a young project player that worked there last year. Uh, but even he didn't have a great year last year. So it makes a lot of us wonder out loud if it's possible, possible, that the Bears GM has another move up his sleeve to bring in an offensive lineman. The one big name that's still out there is Larry Warford, who is a three-time Pro Bowler with the Saints, 28 years old. And you know Ryan Pace, the Bears GM, has, has comes from the New Orleans Saints program. He's always looked very closely into that, as many GMs and coaches are wont to do. They'll always look at their previous team and, and use that as stock. And Larry Warford is available. I just wondered if, if, if it's a done deal on that Bears offensive line because, yeah, if, if you can't you can't have the same results that you had last year on that O line. Well, of course, Juan Castillo is uh, you know that's a familiar name with uh, being very close when he was in Philadelphia. Uh, you see the connection there with Nagy. Um, talk to we're going to stick on offense and talk a little bit about the tight end position. The Bears brought in Jimmy Graham this year to be the starter. Uh, along with Demetrius Harris from Cleveland, who also played in Kansas City, where Nagy coached. So you're seeing how all this works in the NFL. Um, and then they drafted Cole Komet, which I believe is what a great draft pick. 
Uh, this guy, I think, it has a, a really good future. Talk to us a little bit about the back tight end position. Yeah, it's definitely better this year. I mean, last year it was just such a, a huge disappointment with, I mean, the, the name that you have to circle, the disappointment, was with Trey Burton. He was their big money man, the U tight end that came in two years ago, had a good year in his rookie year, and then last year just didn't have it, and eventually Trey Burton was released. So... You just you, you you don't have that versatile youth tight end spot. Now you bring in Jimmy Graham, and honestly, when Jimmy Graham was brought in, Bears fans were kind of like shrugging, like, "What, really? What does this guy have left?" But he's an he's an immense upgrade relative to what they had last year. So if they use him correctly, um, he can. I think there is still something. They're still good in Jimmy Graham. Cole Komet is. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting um, prospect. I don't know if Cole Komet is a plug-and-play player right away, or I should say a contributor right away, but I think eventually he can be. All the tools are there, the size is there, the football smarts, the book smarts. I mean, it, it, it seems like he's the full product for sure, but you just have to mold him a little bit, and that's a tough position. And, and he, he is, you know, the classic Y in-line tight end. So it's going to take some molding to get him right. You mentioned Demetrius Harris, Jeff, and that that's a that's a great point. But I, I think that you know Demetrius Harris is just a solid pro who's going to be a wide tight end. I don't think he's going to be you know super explosive or anything like that. So you have a better tight ends room this year, but it's, it's one that is still a little bit suspect at this point. When we look at the receivers, we know that Allen Robinson is certainly capable of a thousand yard season. He's done it before. But how important is it for Anthony Miller? to take the next step and become a dangerous threat for this team? Big time. I mean, he had a good rookie year. And, and again, this is also, again, a second-round pick. And I know that we all talk so much about the first-round picks and how they have to they have to produce. And, and if you don't produce as a first-round, you're a bust. I mean, I believe that if you're a second-round pick, you have to be a starter and you have to be a long-time starter in the NFL and you have to produce. And Anthony Miller's season last year, was bad in the first half, poor in the first half, and it, it seemed like the criticisms of Anthony Miller is that he wasn't quite picking up the offense, maybe not paying enough attention to detail as he needed to. But then in the second half of the season, we started to see his his natural talent take over. He had some big games, and I think that that will carry over into this season where he started to put it together because there's just, there's just too much talent there. And all he needed to do was get into the classroom a little bit more, take it a little more seriously, study a little bit more, and he will be the full product. So assuming that he wants it, I think that it's going to be there for him. And you're right. I'm glad you mentioned Alan Robinson because he's like, when I talk about the Bears' offense and their receiving room specifically, Alan Robinson is the only one that you know specifically what he is and what he's going to give you. The rest of these guys are kind of mysteries. So you think they're good, but you're not quite sure. So there's got to be more than Alan Robinson, and Anthony Miller is certainly the guy that you would have to pick to step up. Yeah, and, you know, and plus you put David Montgomery in the mix there to catch the football out of the backfield. Like, is any, either one of those quarterbacks a nice target to throw the football to? Well, I, I need to ask Mark about Terry Cohen because I just saw some copy, I guess, within the last couple of days where he indicated he felt that he was out of shape last year and is vowing to be in better shape this year. I find it hard to believe that a guy like Tariq Cohen, 
who badly needs to rely on speed and athleticism would have ever come into an NFL season out of shape. Yeah, I didn't notice it. I mean, if he says it, then that's fine because that's pretty, you know, damning indictment on himself to say something like that. I, I guess I didn't notice that part of, of his game. What I noticed about Tariq Cohen last year is that he simply was not used as much as he was in the 2018 year where he was one of the Bears' most important weapons. Um, you know, this, this is a guy who, you know, who might have the most speed on the team. We know that he's done all the damage on special teams, but you want him to become that weapon again that he simply wasn't last year. And a lot of times he just looked lost. In the, in the offense for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, Matt Nagy's play calling or the quarterback, or maybe it was Mitchell Trubisky. Um, this is, this is a super talented player that was nowhere to be found and was, was summarily taken out of game plans by opposing teams defenses. And you, you simply cannot have that. And this is a big year for him. I mean, this is, this is a contract year for him. This is the year where if he thrives, you might see the Bears get him to the to the bargaining table somewhere halfway through the season and start to, you know, maybe negotiate a potential extension or he goes into free agency. So he's got all the reason in the world to come in in shape, as, as you mentioned, and to have a season more like 2018 as opposed to 2019. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna touch on him a little bit later in the program, <laughs> talking about his, his special teams play because. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to kick to that guy. I mean, he is so dynamic. He's such a better athlete than any of those guys that are down there covering. And he is—he can really be a, a, a true force for your team. Um, Paul, I'm going to run him to jump over to the to the defensive side of the football. You got Chuck Pagano coming in as defensive coordinator now, uh, Mark. And I think that when I was looking at this roster, trying to figure out where the competition and what what positions you'll probably see the most competition, and I went right to their their cornerback position. You know, after the Bears released Prince on Mukamura, um, you got some new faces opposite of Kyle Fuller. So talk to me a little bit about Artie Burns and Jalen Johnson, the two guys that are, that are going to compete for that spot. Yeah, that's going to be we, – we keep talking about the quarterback competition around here, but I was talking about this on my show the other day, that the, the cornerback and safety positions are going to be some of the, the most intriguing competitions on this team. Now, yep. when they drafted Jalen Johnson, you mentioned him, uh, a Bears second round pick out of Utah, a guy that a lot of the scouts and the draft experts felt that if he had not been injured in college as he was because of a shoulder situation, he definitely would have made first round pick. So he's one of those guys, the proverbial first round talent who got taken in the second round. I think that he became immediately the second best or second most talented quarterback on the roster when he was brought in. Um, this side of Kyle Fuller, as you mentioned, but I, you know, I've been having my doubts lately just because, and I only say that because he's a rookie. That's a tough position to learn. I think that eventually Jalen Johnson becomes the starter. I just don't know if you, if it is fair to expect that a rookie comes in with an expedited offseason and is expected to cover NFL receivers in this day and age of the NFL where it's so important to have sturdy corners. Um, I don't know if that's fair. Um, so I, I don't I don't rule Jalen Johnson out of the starter, but there's there's one guy too that that was the the third cornerback, third or fourth, and that was Kevin Tolliver, a kid who played at LSU. He was undrafted, uh, but he, he came along pretty strong at the end of last year. I don't rule him out. Um, Artie Burns, as you mentioned, he's a former first round pick. That's a possibility, and then Trey Roberson too. Trey 
converted quarterback, played quarterback in college, and then converted to cornerback um, and played in the Canadian League last year, thrived, was very sought after. The Bears gave him some pretty decent money. Um, so he will compete for the position as well. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see. The one advantage, though, the Bears have in any secondary position is the fact that they are so strong up front defensively that it makes life a little bit easier for the cornerbacks and safeties. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk for Jalen Johnson as I thought it was the day he was drafted. Well, the secondary is going to need some help from the pass rush. And, Mark, I, I need to ask you about Khalil Mack because – This is a guy who the Bears spent an awful lot for in terms of trade collateral to get him from the Raiders. You're looking at a guy who comes off of four consecutive double-digit sack seasons. And last year, let me just read that stat line just just to remind you. 16 games, only eight and a half sacks, 47 tackles, and only 14 quarterback hits. Look, I don't care how you cut it. I know he went to the Pro Bowl. I can't think the Bears are happy with that stat line, and they're going to need a whole lot more to get value for their money. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, and the thing is, too, about the, the, the eight and a half sacks is that he, it, he didn't get those until later in the season. So it wasn't like quintessential Khalil Mack where he was getting these impact sacks and tackles for losses and things like that. So absolutely more is expected from him. It was a weird year overall for the Bears. He did not have a great counterpart in Leonard Floyd, who is no longer on the team. You bring in Robert Quinn, and I think that's going to help Khalil Mack's cause a little bit. He was also um, he was also handled by opposing teams differently than he had ever been before in his career. As in, you know, three to four guys were attacking him and chipping him and going after him. He's always had garnered a lot of attention. But there was, for whatever it's worth, there was more attention given to him last year. Also, a big part of it, too, guys, for Khalil Mack, and I know it just sounds like I'm making excuses for the guy, but, um, you know, Keen Hicks was, was gone for most of last season. He was injured early in the season, game five or six, the London game for the Bears. And, and Keen Hicks is, like, such a huge part. He's the second-best player on that Bears defense for sure, and he didn't have that, so... You know, Mac the superstar, so he's got to be able to play through those kind of things. There's a reason they maxed out with him with the money, so you can't line up too many excuses for him. But here's the thing. I think that he is a guy, like, he's still young. It's not like you lost the step. So I do think he'll be back. And, you know, you guys mentioned Chuck Pagano, too. I think that, you know, Pagano, you know, was in his first year last year. I think there were some things that, that Pagano needed to see and this year needs to adjust to. You don't want to see Khalil Mack dropping back in coverage, as we saw him doing, I thought, too many times last year. So I think that is incumbent upon Chuck Pagano to make sure that Khalil Mack returns to being the, the 10 on a 1-10 to 10 scale on the superstar scale. Jeff, let me follow up with Mark on one thing, though, because you mentioned Robert Quinn. You know, he resuscitated his career in Dallas last season to have double-digit sacks, but prior to that, it looked like things were really on the down. And Barcavius Mingo coming over from Houston, to me, these guys are gambles. These guys are retreads that they're going to put a lot of responsibility on, and if neither one of those guys come through, you're basically back to Mac being a one-man band again. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I mean, yeah, we 
we've made that point too about Robert Quinn with the, the good year last year, but what, what happened in the previous years and he earns this contract. So the, all those things go into it with Quinn. The thing is, is that, you know, you had, you know, you had Leonard Floyd there last year and you, you had Leonard Floyd with Khalil Mack for two years. And in, and in his first year, Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack worked very well together. And Leonard Floyd, just the, the reason Leonard Floyd is no longer with the Bears is because he was not able to get to the quarterback and sack the quarterback. Um, and the idea is, is that they had to find somebody who would be an upgrade from Leonard Floyd. So if you just look at it like that, there's no doubt that Robert Quinn, even if he has eight or nine sacks, believe it or not, that it's still an upgrade from from Leonard Floyd. So, um, you know, I think in the case of Mingo, he's going to be more of a, a special teams guy, so they're not really depending on him to do anything big time. But there's no doubt, man, that the spotlight is on Robert Quinn this year. If he doesn't have, like, a good year, I mean, Leonard Floyd took a lot of criticism around here in the last few years from Bears fans and from the media, and the same thing will happen to Robert Quinn if he's not a good compliment to Khalil Mack. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When you want to talk about statistics and things that jump off the pages, just look at real fun. <laughs> I mean, what a beast this guy is. I mean, he had an amazing year last year. I, I look at the roster and kind of going down what we were going to talk to you a little bit about, and I, I see a little bit of a depth problem behind him. Um, is there, is there, do you see that competition somewhere? Who's going to be the backup to Rose Vaughn? Um, and what do you think about that inside linebacking position? Yeah, it's a great question because they lost a couple of good ones. They had uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, who was, Played a lot last year and then earned himself uh, a nice contract mm-hmm. with the, with the Raiders. Um, you know, there were some Bears fans who thought that they should have kept him over Danny Trevathan, who is who is healthy again. So you've got two really good inside linebackers. You mentioned a Roquan Smith, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned it about Roquan Smith because he only he, he only played 12 games last year. Still had over 100 tackles, two sacks, five tackles for loss. He's kind of a weird year. Um, some personal issues and then a pectoral injury, but he still was able to thrive. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that, that this is going to be his breakout year. But, yeah, who, who, where's the depth there? They also lost a guy by the name of Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who was really good for the Bears, too. They've got a couple of guys left on their roster. They've got Josh Woods, who was more of a special teams guy, but I know that they like him. They'll probably start to weave him in a little bit more. And then a guy that they drafted a couple of years ago in the fourth round, who, who most people probably have not heard of, and Joel E.A. Booneyway. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if, if there is an injury to Roquan Smith or Danny Trevathan, right now, right now, it doesn't look great in terms of depth. So I would look at that as a position that the Bears are still looking to beef up and keep an eye on what's going on in the league to, to bring in a little bit of help. You mentioned Akeem Hicks earlier, the defensive tackle, who everybody obviously knows about. But how much of a rotation do you think they will have up front, or do they not consider their depth good enough to have a rotation? Well, the best guys up front right now for the Bears probably, you know, Akeem Hicks, number one with a bullet. Um, they have a they they have you know their uh, Roy Robertson Harris, who's been there for the last couple of years, Eddie Goldman. Um, their nose tackle is a guy who you probably hear more about this year. I imagine that Eddie Goldman, one of these years, is going to be invited to the Pro Bowl. He had an okay year last year, but they gave him a nice contract extension. Um, he's a really good 
you know, unsung player just because of the nature of the position that he plays. They have a kid entering his third year named Bilal Nichols who had a really good rookie year, but then was banged up a lot last year. Um, they kept Brent Urban, Abdullah Anderson. So they actually have pretty decent depth along the line, but it, it all starts with Akeem Hicks with the hope that he is 100% healthy, that he's 100% in shape because he, he's definitely a game changer. He, he is a guy that that other teams, the opposing teams, do have the game plan for when he when he's in there. So you know, you've got the line of a pretty decent situation up front there. Mark, I got to ask you. This is a little bit about what happened last year. Um, we all all know what happened in the playoffs with the field goal, and then all of a sudden, Ryan Pace, the general manager, comes in and, and gets together with Nagy and says, "Okay, listen, we're going to bring every kicker from west of the east of the Mississippi and bring them in here." <laughs> And, and finally, they, they go at the end that Eddie Pinero comes through. And, you know, and I remember him having a tough time a little bit, but then he finished the season strong. So I see that type of competition. I think that's the kind of competition they're going to want to see at that quarterback position, a lot like that last year, where every play is going to be documented and every play is going to be looked at at that QB position. But I was happy to see that Eddie Pinero came out with that job last year. Man, I hope they don't have 10 quarterbacks in camp that we have to address over. Yeah, that was quite a spectacle. I wish you guys could have been there. That was something. I mean, they would have all these kickers on on their own designated field, and they were doing all sorts <laughs> of crazy stuff to put pressure on them. They were doing a gust of silence. It was just a... It was just a, this, this carnival of kickers. Um, and you're right. Eddie Pinheiro came out on top, um, had a had a decent season. You know, he, he had one big-time game-winning moment in Denver last year, but he also missed some kicks. And that said, guys, believe it or not, um, he will have competition in camp this year. Um, they're supposed to have 13 competitors. He's only going to have one competitor uh, <laughs> this year. So so that'll be a lot easier. Uh, they, brought, they did bring in a rookie. And, you know, I, I think that this is 90%. Eddie Pinheiro's job. They, they brought this in to keep Eddie Pinheiro sharp. Um, so it'll just be one dude this year. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, uh, with, with Eddie Pinheiro, they, and this sounds weird for a kicker, but they told him to put on a little bit of muscle, put on a little weight because he's a very slight man and he did put on seven to nine pounds and added some strength. So when they, when, when that goes on, you know that they're invested in their kicker when they actually, you know, Blueprint or rough draft an off-season program for him, and you know so he'll 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 uh, he'll compete with uh, Ramiz Ahmed, a, a Nevada rookie, this year in camp. So it looks like the Bears can finally kick it again, and we know that Cohen and Cordarrelle Patterson can return it. It looks as though that if you if you scan their depth chart, though, Mark, and tell me if I'm wrong here, they added some guys, and you mentioned Mingo before as a special teams guy. It seems like they wanted to upgrade their coverage units too. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think that they, they we have yet to see exactly how that forms in terms of of kick coverage, but they having lost. Uh, you know, Nick Kwiatkowski, the guy that I mentioned, who was going to, you know, just be a linebacker now, but he was great on special teams as well. Um, you brought back Sherrick McManus, who's been on the Bears forever. I think this is his 11th year. Um, so he will continue to be a guy who spearheads a lot of their special teams. Uh, Cordell Patterson is, is just great in that particular regard. Um, and then, you know, a wild card for special teams and a guy that I don't think we've mentioned him yet is, is Ted Ginn 
who they they brought in to be their speed guy in the wide receivers room. But you know, he, he has special abilities too in the kick return game. And you know, Terrence, I wouldn't be surprised if every once in a while they maybe line him up there, back there as a dual threat or do some creative things on special teams. So, um, yeah, I, I'm anxious to see how, you know, special teams coverage-wise and return-wise, how it all lines up. And one thing, too, I mean, yeah, Tariq Cohen is great at, at special teams and great at punt return. I, I kind of wonder, too, if, if it's possible they they occasionally lessen his role in that regard, even though he's great at it, just, just to keep him healthy because he's such a small guy and maybe keep him more involved or keep his head more in the game offensively and not think about special teams. So I, I wonder if maybe Ted Ginn gets a little bit of rotation with Tariq Cohen. All in all, you know, this, this team has got a lot to prove being 8-8 eight and eight last year um, and they're going to you know, get try to make the playoffs. I think there's a lot of a lot of pressure on the coaching staff here and then a lot of the players. So we'll see what happens. And you know, hopefully this Giants team can match up with them in September as usual. We don't know what's going on with the scheduling and all that kind of stuff, but we look forward to the game uh, sometime or another. Amen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at Soldier Field. And, you know, for um, for Bears fans here, at least, the 8-8 the eight eight didn't feel like 8-8. Eight eight. It felt like it didn't feel <laughs> even as good as that. So... Yeah, I know you You guys are looking for a turnaround season for the Giants, and, and people around here certainly are looking for the same with the Bears. We can't wait to see you guys. And, yeah, let's, let's definitely hope that if the season goes on uh, unencumbered. That is Bears radio sideline reporter Mark Grody, and we thank him for his time. Again, the Bears to play the Giants, according to the NFL schedule, on September the 20th, week two of the regular season. And it's kind of a different situation for the Giants this year, Jeff. They start out with the the Steelers coming from the AFC, then hop right back to the NFC with the Bears. And as we had talked about over the course of the summer, because of the strategic configuration of the schedule, they won't be playing an NFC East opponent until week number five against Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Listen, if I'm, I'm a player and, and business as usual, I don't mind going to Chicago in September. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Um, that's that's easy for me. Um, but, yeah, you never know. And, um, you know, if you really look into that schedule and, and see how they're doing things, you you, know, you can make what it is. But I, I feel like the Giants have got to get off to a good start. You know, they got two tough games um, on the road and those two right. Well, actually, is, is Philadelphia – I mean, excuse me, is the first game – is that at home, Paul? I don't have it the, in front the of The Bears me. game is away. They, no. they open up at home against Pittsburgh. Okay, they it's at go home to Chicago. Pittsburgh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, anyways, that's – you know, those are two good opponents. Um, and you certainly don't want to dig yourself a hole coming into the division play that fifth game of the week of the season against Dallas. Yeah, at Dallas, that would be at Dallas of on course. October 11th. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, once again, folks, uh, we appreciate uh, your time for listening into Big Blue Kickoff Live this week. We are beginning our daily opponent previews for the Giants' 2020 schedule. That means if you'd like to reach out to us, you're going to have to go through Twitter at hashtag Giants Chat. Or he is at Jay Fiegels, and I am at Giants WFAN. We'll be trying to take your live phone calls next week, beginning once again, I believe on Monday. We'll, we'll try to do some of those again. But this week, we're trying to get some of our opponent previews in the books. And so that's why we are pre-recording these shows. Now, in the meantime, a couple of news items that have come up over the last few days, Jeff, I did want to get your take on. Daniel Jeremiah, the longtime NFL executive and 
scout who's now with the NFL Network, did a little survey of his own, a little bit of a, an analytic study, if you will, fastest teams in the NFL using 11 personnel. And as we know, that is one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. He says, according to his little bit of a chart here, that the Giants, with an average 40-yard dash time of 4.42, are number one in the league, followed by the Chiefs at 4.45. Now, that's interesting because I think everybody and their mother believes that Kansas City has the fastest set of skill positions in the league. Yeah, but one thing they don't have is they don't have a tight end that runs 4-3. That's why that number is there. Um, when you add up all those and they, and they get the, the average, that's, that's where it's coming from. Evan Ingram is, is bringing that, that number down, which is a good thing in this case. Um, but really, when you look at those and you look at those other teams, I mean, wow. I mean, talk about Daniel Jones gotten being excited about throwing the ball to any of those people, right? I mean, and getting the ball in their hands and then having things happen. Uh, Saquon certainly just get the ball in his hands, either handing it or throwing it to him, boom. And 11 personnel run, run down the field, go. 60, 70-yard runs, you know he can break those. And then I think the big thing here, Paul, and I think we're all waiting for it, at least I am, I've said it earlier, I'm waiting for a healthy season out of Evan Ingram. I mean, this is a big year for him, and I think he knows that. And I think if he can stay healthy in this offense, especially with Jason Garrett loving how the tight end works in his system, he can have a really big year, which will also help those other wide receivers. Well, in explaining the Giants' numbers out of the 11 personnel, according to Jeremiah, he was basing it off of the following numbers. Barkley at 4-4-1, Ingram at tight end at 4-4-2, Shepard and oh. Tate at 4-4-8 and 4-4-2, respectively. And the fastest guy on the Giants' roster, Sweet. according to Jeremiah, was Darius Slayton at 4-3-9. Mm. Mm. See, I always thought that Evan Ingram was a was a four three guy. Maybe not. But. Well, again, these are the numbers that Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network was working off of. But I also think on the other side, it's very interesting because the Giants have some pretty fast guys also in the secondary. Darnay Holmes, the rookie out of UCLA, at four four eight. Corey Ballantyne at four four seven. James Bradbury four four nine. Some of the other speedsters on this roster, uh, Nate Ebner, special teams demon coming over from the Patriots at 448. Cody Core, outstanding coverage guy, 447. Corey mm. Coleman at 437. So, you know, the Giants clearly over the course of the last couple of years under new general manager Dave Gettleman. Now, remember, you know, Dave came in and he had a lot of scraping of the paint that he had to take off the walls before he started to build the team in his vision. He has always said he wanted more speed, and it looks like he's finally started to compile a big chunk of it. It looks to me like if you start to go over the years and go backwards, remember how 4-5 was the threshold? That was, mm-hmm. I mean, if you run a 4-5, you are so fast. Have you noticed what's going on in the National Football League now these days? That 4-5 is down to like a 4-4, you know, <laughs> and it's, in, some, in some instances a 4-3-8, you know what I mean? Now those are fast. 4-5, you're kind of like, eh, 4-5, all right, eh, boring, oh, yawn, okay? It's just so <laughs> funny. And now you got the, you got tight ends and linemen running 4-7s, 4-8s. I mean, that was just unheard of years ago. It really was. I mean, 4-5 was, was smoking. But mm-hmm. not, you know, nowadays, 4-5 seems to be a little bit slow. Mm-hmm. Well, and, of course, punters are 10-5. 
You can put us in whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. We got to be able to run on and off the field. That's as fast as we can do it. (laughs) (laughs) How true, how true. Uh, Another very interesting item that I saw, and this one kind of blew my mind a little bit. Sports Illustrated had a column that they ran the other day. Uh, They wanted to identify the weakest part or the weakest unit on every team in the National Football League. And for the Giants, they actually listed the quarterback, Daniel Jones. I I did not understand that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they tried to tell uh, tell us about his inexperience, the fact that the offensive line wasn't great last year, and they weren't sure how they were going to be this year, uh, that he had to play with an injured Barkley, that in their mind the Giants have a collection of just okay receivers. Well, you could put all of those reasons you want together and maybe say last year was last year, but I don't think anybody else believes that the Giants have a weakness at quarterback going into 2020. Well, I think if you what they're doing is comparing the rest of the roster. I mean, if you go down there and say, okay, where is the inexperience coming from? I would think that, you know, cornerback, but you got, you know, I think that Baker is a guy that's he's one year. He's a rookie last year. I mean, you got Beal. I would think that that would probably be the only other position that I would think that would be would 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 have conversation in here. Um, the quarterback position, I think, is a lot thrown at him, and I don't. I think it's probably unfairly. Um, I don't think it's justified because of some of the things that they said as far as the offensive line being weak. Well, that's not his fault. Uh, the, an injured Saquon Barkley. Well, that's not his fault. You know, he just still did the best he can, and, and inexperienced. You got to play sometime. So, I mean, I, I, I look at, at that as a positive, all the playing time that he got last year going into this year. So I, I disagree with that also. Um, I would go at the cornerback position and maybe the little inexperience at the offensive line position. But, you know, Thomas is a guy that's going to need to – I mean, he's a first-round draft pick. So they're, they're expecting big things out of him. All right. Let me go to a, another item here. This one yeah. was a very interesting item, Jeff. And I – Wow. I I think this one opens up a very lengthy discussion, which we will not have here, but we'll shorten it for the purposes of this program. Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians uh, told uh, Chris Long's podcast. uh, Remember, Chris used to play in the NFL. Now he's doing some uh, media work. He told him that uh, he thinks he might keep a third quarterback on the roster, but away from the team so that that quarterback would be healthy if the team needed him to step into the active situation because of a virus infection. Mm -hmm. And, wow, I mean, that's certainly a unique train of of thought. What do you think about that, Jeff? Uh, Listen, I I I think it's brilliant. I also believe that it has to be something that is certainly addressed through the league. Um, we all know that the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. Um, and the game will be compromised if you, for some reason, lose your first two quarterbacks. Um, and you can't, and all of a sudden you've got to have a guy that maybe played, uh, you know, quarterback in college. Now is your quarterback. I mean, so you got to do, you have to do something here. And I think it's, it's good logic. It's just a matter of how they're going to put it in place. And maybe they make it available for every team as maybe a, a, an exemption, if you will, a COVID-19 exemption, if you want to call it whatever. But I think it's a good idea. You never know because, as we also know, guys, you know, the facilities around the National Football League are not these big, huge, mega convention centers. They're, 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 they're quite, you know, they're, they're, they're tight. 
They got meeting rooms and things. Players are going to be around each other a lot, and they're going to be around each other without masks on at times. And there's going to be stuff that's going to go around. And if this, if it rears its ugly head in one of those position meeting rooms, and it happens to be the quarterback room, who knows? All every it could wipe all of them out. They all could get it. And then what do you do? So then this, I, I see the argument here. I don't even know if it's such of an argument. It's more of kind of a strategic uh, area to look at. And so I think it's a great idea. If you were to do this, would you make that guy, you know, your third quarterback? Or would you keep a third quarterback on the practice squad and have a fourth guy kind of ready somewhere else? Because if you're going to keep the guy away from your facility and away from your team and your players, he's got to be working with the playbook and somebody else. He needs people to throw to. He needs people to snap to him. I mean, how would you logistically handle that? Yeah, I guess the only thing I would think of is that you just try to keep him away from the, the meeting rooms and stuff. You know, I mean, maybe so he's out you, of you, practice. You would, you would have him be the practice squad QB, but yeah. kind of isolate him within yeah. the facility? Uh, with, outside the facility. <laughs> well, if you, well, but but then he needs people to throw to. Well, no, I would, excuse me. I mean, when I'm talking about inside the facility, I'm talking about inside the door, you know, where the meetings, were, where everything is, like, I feel like being outside, like everything is happening these days where the social distancing can work outside better than inside. You know, maybe he is on Zooms and meetings, um, you know, from home or something. I Listen, I don't know this, but I'm just kind of guessing. Maybe this is how it works. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's out of practice. He's going to have to do – he's going to have to get some reps. Well, see, Arian said it was – the thought was of keeping the quarterback away from the facility during One, the season. That means yeah. he's not he's not there on campus. Well, I, okay, so let's at this. So that's going to be – that's going to have to be a veteran, a guy that could you could have come in and, and play two weeks. Right, because you're going to need 14 mm-hmm. days for court to mm-hmm. quarantine, mm-hmm. or you're going to have a have to have a rookie that's been around the system that knows the the offense. Here's the but, other problem to that, though, Jeff, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think okay. it really it really requires another line of thought here. If your quarterback room has a, a positive test, and you lose your first and second string quarterback, and now you go off the facility to grab your third string quarterback, now he goes into the game. You better have an emergency quarterback ready if that guy can't finish that game. That's right, and that then that guy would be like, like Riley Dixon, somebody that could you know somebody that could could handle snaps and hand the ball off. I mean, I I, I was an emergency quarterback for years with the Giants and for the Philly. You know, I could take a snap. I ran nine on seven during the week. I had my twelve plays that I knew. I watched. I knew. You know, so. and, and the funny part about it was, Jeff, uh, so many times when when somebody would get dinged up, the writers will all be asking about who does it, and and the, the coaching staff would never tell. Mm-hmm. But because I always watched every minute <laughs> of practice and was out there forty five minutes before the rest of the media, I knew that you were the guy because yeah. you could spin a spiral. I could spin a spire and I could take a handoff, you know, I mean, take a snap and hand the ball off. And, mm-hmm. and I remember uh, Coach Palmer, I would meet with him once a week for literally like 10 minutes. And he would say, okay, here's your plays this week. And it wouldn't veer much, a little bit of different stuff. But, um, and then I would run the, on Thursdays, would be my day to run the scout team offense. And I would take snaps and hand the ball off. So just so I could get some reps. That's what I did. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Now, here is one possible solution to this entire equation that, that Arians has at least uh, put out there. Okay. And that is the XFL. Remember, they had eight teams in their league. 
they had something called Team 9. It was actually a fully stocked offense and defense, and I I believe they had special teams also. Mm -hmm. And they practiced with a coaching staff as a team in Dallas, separate from the other eight teams in the XFL. And it was only uh, there, that team was only created strictly to become, in effect, a call-up or practice squad for any of the other eight teams. Now, why do I even bring this up? Well, I bring this up because if you had a Team 9 or a Team 33, let's say, in the NFL because they have 32 teams, let's say you had a Team 33, what you know is that they, if they've been quarantined in a safe place and they're in their own separate bubble, so to speak, well, then if you were to take anybody off of that team, you know that they've already been tested, they're, they're, they're healthy, they're negative, and you're not going to be bringing any other potential virus question into your facility. Because if you were to elevate someone from your practice squad, they're already in your facility, and they may have been in the room with the infected player that you may not be able to use that week. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. I just you know, have to figure out how that would work and who would get dibs on it. And I guess there's a protocol that you would have to have a positive test and it has to be verified by the league, and then you can go on to the you know, the Team 33 if you needed to. Yeah, you know? that was a 40-man team. Team okay. 9 is what they called it. Okay. And those guys were simply the call-up players that teams could dip into uh, if they needed to. Now, of course, with the XFL, they weren't worried about guys testing uh, in a medical situation. That was more for injury. Mm-hmm. If somebody got injured, yeah. uh, they were able to go up and, and get a call-up guy from Team 9. This would be a medical situation, and I just wonder if there might be any value in doing that with the NFL. But we'll see. Well, I guess I, I guess to me it's like what what if all of a sudden you get three teams that have a run on the same position, and you know they need cornerbacks, and now you now you got like three teams going looking for six cornerbacks. Um, oh boy, you, you know then you got a problem there, right? I, I mean you got to look at the worst case scenario. What happens if three teams are looking for one position and you only have so many players at that position? Who gets the players? You know, is it almost like a pecking order again? I know. You know? Look, so. we've got a lot of things to navigate here, Jeff. Yes, you do. We really yes, do. And, do. And we have a few months to go, but let's hope they can all sort it out at some point so the NFL can get itself I, I, on the field. If, if, if it's me, I would, I would have this as an exception to the rule where the league and the Players Association get together and say, listen, these are what we need to look at because we understand that this could happen. And let's be truthful about it, and let's be smart about this. And rather than have whatever the number is with your practice squad, let's let's make that bigger. Let's just let's create a bigger squad to pull from. Um, but I get what you're saying, Paul, because these guys are all in the same facility, right? So there is a propensity for them to get sick just as good as anybody else, even though they're not in the meeting room, but they're still a practice. They're still around each other. Well, I mean, think of it this way, Jeff, right? If you're talking about the running backs, well, the four or five running backs you have on the team and maybe the one or two practice squad guys, they're all in the running backs room. So if one guy in that room tests positive, don't you have a potentially bad situation for the other guys in the room? You do, but what what I'm trying to say is that with an expanded roster on the practice squad area, you know, what you could do is say, listen, we're going to have to keep you guys separate here. So, you know, we're only going to have the three 
three running backs that are going to be active oh, on Oh, I get day. you. Split up the running backs room into yeah. two rooms during the week. That's correct. And so we keep everybody, you know, the practice squad guys would be separate. Because really, when you look at practice squad guys, the practice squad guys are running the opposing defense or offensive plays. Right. They're not running their own plays. So it's not so imperative that they're in a meeting to, to watch film on how the offenses that they're running because they're not running those. So it could, you know, you could get caught to speed that they – they're going to learn the offense and things like that. They don't, they don't just go on practice squad and, and run the other team's plays without knowing your own plays, mm-hmm. you know. So you got to keep them separate, and that that's the only way you could do it and keep them away from the other rest of the team. It would be unfair, but the fact is is that it's they're getting paid, and they're practice squad guys. They understand that, and they have an opportunity to move up and down the roster just like anybody else, but you're there in case something happens to somebody. That's really what it is. Well, great stuff from some of the news and notes from around the league the last couple of days. Okay, let's get to our mailbag and our Twitter questions for the day, Jeff. Once again, you can hit him up at Jay Fiegels on Twitter, or I am at GiantsWFAN. You can also go to Twitter and go to hashtag GiantsChat. Or, of course, uh, the mailbag is open uh, 24-7 at Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. We have one from Reginald who says, uh, does Daniel Jones have what it takes to become the next Giants legend? Well, <laughs> I think I think that depends on a lot of other things around him. I don't necessarily know it's all about him. Well, I do know this, and you do too. We know the type of worker he is. We know the type of pro he can be. Um, he's certainly a guy that prepares. Um, he's in the facility wanting to learn all the time. And I feel like... So from that standpoint, I guess I would say, yes, he does have the intangibles to be the next great quarterback for the Giants. What, but I think you hit the nail on the head. What around him will, will be able to help him become that guy? Is it the offensive line being improved? Yes, that's going to help. But who's going to play center? Is it the receivers? Is it the tight end? Is it the running backs? Yes, this all matters. And I think that he's taken on a good leadership role Coming into this season, you can see how he's taken some stances on some of the issues that we're facing in America, which is a good thing. That's part of leadership. And, yes, I think he has it. He's going to have to prove it. All right. NJ, NYG fan in CLT. I'm not sure I understand exactly where he's going with that. But he uh, asks, what does your confidence come from or where does it come from that Andrew Thomas, the Giants' first-round pick, can start at right tackle uh, when the season begins, uh, he says, my opinion is that Joe Judge knows what he wants and drafted players with specifics in mind. Uh, I would say this. Joe Judge did not make these picks. Dave Gettleman, the GM, made the picks, although the Giants are one that uh, consults with their coach and they do uh, maintain a uniform opinion when those selections are made. Uh, but let's go back to the initial thought about Andrew Thomas. What is your confidence if he is starting at right tackle week one? My confidence is that he's going to be starting to left tackle week one. That's where my confidence is. Um, I feel like they're going to put him over there and just keep him there. You know, he's a lifer over there. You know, not going to play one one week or one season at right and then move to left. I'm putting you at left, and you're going to be there for the next 10 years, and you're going to get me six Pro Bowls, and you're going to be all pro four or five times. That's what I want about you. Will he be an all-NFL rookie selection at left tackle? Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, confident. I okay. am totally confident. He's Well, listen, it's, it's, it's Becton and him, right? I mean, over the other, the other New York team. 
Well, who is the starting right tackle if Thomas is starting on the left side? That'll be Nate Solder. I think it's a lot easier for me to move Nate Solder to right tackle and then put my rookie, you know, all-world guy at left tackle where he belongs. Okay. And remember now, and we discussed this on the past in the program, you know, Solder played right tackle as a rookie with the Patriots, but that seems like many moons ago. He has said he's willing to make the adjustment. You know, Cameron Fleming probably is going to try to have something to say about this. He will. He will, and that's fine. That's okay. That's what they want. They want that competition over there. And you know what? That's going to bring out the best of both of those players, and then you'll get a good somebody that's going to be – you want a guy over there that we don't have to worry about and talk about every week. I don't want that this year. I don't want to have our tackles being the topic of discussions every week. I'm tired of that. All right. We go to uh, Mike NYY, a big Yankees fan, obviously, uh, asking about why we saw a drop in the numbers and the production of defensive lineman B.J. Hill last season. Hmm. Well, I just think he got caught up in a numbers game and in that rotation um, and the fact that the other guys in front of him played better. So it's, this is a big year for B.J. If he wants to be you know, involved in that rotation with Tomlinson and, um, and the other crew there, those guys, he's going to have to play better. So I think that he was caught up in a little bit of a, you know, he, he kind of had a down, a down year, and he just couldn't get back in that lineup like he did the year before. Well, just to give you a little bit of perspective, as a rookie, he played on 59% of the, of the defensive snaps uh, and started 12 of the 16 games. Last year, he only started five of the 16 games and played on 44% of the defensive snaps. Now, quite frankly, the trade for Leonard Williams had a lot to do with that because Williams no. came in, did very well in the rotation, yeah. and Hill was the guy who lost most of those snaps. That's right. That's right. And listen, I think that, you know, his snaps will be limited this year, too, because of the guys that are in front of him. Um, and he's just going to have to work his way into the lineup. But listen, that you need a lot of guys at that position. If they're going to have a rotational, uh, you know, guys coming in and out, you've got to have some quality players there, and B.J.'s one of them. He's going to have to prove that he's, he wants to be in, in that rotationary uh, when they're back and forth. If not, then he's going to be sitting out and playing special teams. That's it. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Micah says the Cowboys and Eagles have so many difference makers under contract. He thinks the Giants have almost no one and obviously don't have a ton of cap space left. Uh, He says, where is all the Giants' money gone and how do they match up? Well, before we go anywhere else, we should say that there was some Eagles and Cowboys news in the last 24 hours, uh, specifically Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, apparently, according to the reports on NFL.com and some other national media organizations, uh, he tested positive uh, for the COVID, feels well, and his mother has even tweeted out that he was asymptomatic, and they don't think that there's an issue or a concern. But that is certainly some word coming uh, out of the, the Cowboys' headlines. And the Eagles, uh, their starting guard, Brandon Brooks, suffered a tour to Achilles tendon at a workout yesterday, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. And so that certainly is a blow to their offensive line. Yeah, he's probably out for the season. I think it was an Achilles tendon, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, and, you know, it, and here's the thing. We haven't heard a lot about these injuries this year because nobody's really doing the OTAs and the and the mini camps. The guys are just working out on their own, right? Um, but it happens. 
it happens, and uh, that's a tough blow for the Eagles. Well, I would only say this to Micah. The, the Giants do actually have some playmakers. Uh, Saquon of Barkley, they com- do. he comes to mind first, and I think Daniel Jones comes to mind second. Right. Uh, now, you know, if, if, if he wants to close his eyes to Evan Ingram when he's healthy or, or even Shepard or Tate or Slayton, I guess, I guess he's allowed to do that. But I would say to you that uh, the Giants are not totally void of playmakers, as his question would suggest. Yeah, I think the, the word you're looking for is plural, playmakers. Do we have, do the Giants have multiple ones? I, I know that Saquon is by far a huge playmaker. Um, and we have seen Daniel Jones make some plays, some really good plays. Mm-hmm. We've also seen him make some bad plays. Uh, but that's just, those are growing pains. What do you think about the defensive side of playmakers? I mean, can can McKinney be a um, uh, Xavier guy? Can he be that guy? Maybe. Can he do it? Maybe. Huh? We don't know. Maybe. Um, Jabril I mean, Peppers? I mean, can he be a playmaker for you? Um, yeah, I, look, I look at it this way, Jeff, and I've talked about this on the program many times before as well as on other programs. You know, you, you look at the team's roster or the unit, and Bill Parcells used to tell us, you know, when they would go into the uh, the meetings on Monday night and they would start game planning for the upcoming weekend's opponent, you always wanted to take note of the guys who were going to give you a headache, the impact players, the difference makers, the guys who could wreck a game. And, and that was one of the things you always took into account on Monday night when you sat down and mm-hmm. started to sketch things out. And I think it's fair to say, as we sit here today, the Giants don't have anybody on defense right now that's going no. to keep anybody up at night on Monday. Not at all. Nope, I was just looking over the roster. That's while, pretty fair. While you were saying that, and I, I, I can't even give you an inkling of one, one guy that I would say maybe, I don't. I mean, I just really don't. You know? I can't. Can, can, can somebody step up potentially maybe by the end of the season and be a headache guy? Maybe, but not right now. No, not right now. Right. On offense, I, I, I think it's – it's surefire. Uh, it's Saquon, and then after that, uh, you know who's Daniel your Jones. Guy? Daniel Jones can be a headache. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If if he comes into his own, he certainly can. I mean, so. how many teams have to game plan around a good quarterback? Pretty much all the time. All right, so. one more question before we pack things up uh, today, Jeff. Yep. Chris says when the Patriots played the Bears last year, they were down and the Bears were punting. Joe Judge has studied every position on the Bears punt team and knew they had a weakness at right guard that he could take advantage of. Knowing this, Judge put in their starting linebacker, uh, Hightower, Dante Hightower, on the punt block team, a role he hadn't played since training camp. On that play, Hightower was able to rush in, exploit the weakness, block the punt, and the Patriots took it for a touchdown. Just a great example of Joe Judge's attention to detail and knowledge of personnel. I guess it's not a question. It's more of a comment. And I suppose since it's on special teams, you would be better to address this. Well, I, I just feel like this is just the way he, he coaches, right? I mean, he's told us his, his recipe for success, and that's daily and weekly changing things to help you win. And when you can identify a weakness in the opponent and you put somebody in there to exploit that weakness like Hightower did, that's what you do. That'll be a common denominator for this Giants team weekly when we'll be talking about it. Now, will they have block punts every week or will they have this? No. But when something does happen, I'm sure there's a reason why, and, I'm, and we would love to ask the question, was that specifically designed for this week's opponent? And I think we'll get that question all the time, and then we'll get an answer, hopefully, out of them that says yes. 
I'd like to ask you a question about this. It's kind of a, an ancillary question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. But we have talked so much about Judge's emphasis on special teams, and, and he wants to be the best special teams unit in, in the league, thinking that that will give him a better chance to win. And I get the logic. My yeah. question for you is this. Does he take a chance, not just given the contracts and not just given the salaries and not just given the star power, but given also the virus issues and the, the, the potential to losing a guy to quarantine, does he put a bunch of starters on special teams, if necessary, to achieve that goal? Yeah. He would. Yeah. 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 I, I, just because, listen, I mean, for years there were starters that played on special teams. I know. I know. And then they came in to a point where they expanded the rosters and they just decided that they're not going to take a chance with these guys. There was so much more depth in those years, though, Jeff. That's correct. And now it's like I understand it and I understand the salaries and I understand all that. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to win football games. And Mm -hmm. give me 53 guys that want to play football, that are football guys that are going to stand up and say, listen, I know we're we're a little bit thin at the right guard position on punt team this week. Okay. Lorenzo Carter, get in there and play that position. Somebody rise up and say, I'll, I'll do it. And that's what you need out of your out of your players. You need guys to step up in situations like that. And then also, there are some guys that you, you could you can have them normal starters on, on kickoff. You can have usually kickoff and, and punt or punt returner like some of the guys. You know, you can have your starters in there. That'd be fine. But I think it's it all goes with the philosophy of the coaches. They're just worried about injuries. And God forbid if you get a Jason Seahorn injury situation, right? I mean, look what happened there. That's 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 what you that's what you basically are afraid of. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to have your starting safety get hurt on a kickoff. I would not want to be an NFL head coach these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, right? Listen, I want to win, and because I'm 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 basically paid to win football games, but now I'm going to get chastised because I'm going to play my starters on special teams, and I just had one guy get blown out of his knee for the season. Yeah, I mean, what, do you have no? Yeah, you, you're no win game. Oh yeah. my goodness! All right, well, that'll do it for today's edition of the program. Good show. Our thanks to uh, Bears Radio sideline reporter Mark Grody. And, of course, you can reach Jeff Fiegels at Jay Fiegels on Twitter. I am at Giants WFAN. You can also go to hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter to give us your comments and questions. We will try to get to them throughout the course of the week as we continue our opponent previews. And there's always the Giants mailbag at Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. Jeff, we enjoyed another program, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Paul. Folks, thanks for listening. I'm Paul Tatino. So long, everybody.